0: All right. It's Thursday, May 18th. I'm here with EY from SoFi. That would be Liz Young. This is Market Call. Market Call is brought to you by our sponsors, Set, Financial Data and Analytics, powered by tomorrow. And of course, SoFi, get your money right all in one app. Do you do it all in the app, Liz? or do you I do, do it? a lot of stuff yeah. in the app. Yeah. My
1: content's in the app. All yeah. the money's in the app. You can get everything in there. Well, it's a great platform. I, I am
0: I am a, a SoFi uh, customer, and it is a great dashboard. And you can do all of those things, like you say, about uh-huh. getting your money right all in one app. So there uh-huh. you go. Um, All right. We're here. There's no Guy right. Adami here. I know. So Just the two of us. Listen, good for Guy Adami and, and his son, Guy Jr., who is a, a, a great little lad. He is graduating great little lad. from his alma mater from guy senior's alma mater, which yeah. is kind of cool. So that's happening today. So shout out to Guy Junior. Um and shout out to Guy and Linda. They have had three kids graduate college in three consecutive years which that's is absolutely great all from georgetown too how about that wow that
1: yeah. is actually quite impressive yeah
0: it is pretty amazing all jokes so, aside yeah no um so and, awesome. and guy uh, and linda they um have stewarded this whole process so guy as he likes to say when i'm out a well-deserved day off so uh-huh. here's another thing this is truly amazing i don't know if you're watching the nine o'clock show on cbc this morning with david faber who will I was not. Uh, all right. Well, I was. I'm a, I'm a huge <laughs> Favs fan. You know what he's doing right now? He is at City Field. He is getting ready to throw out the oh, first pitch he is yeah that's pretty cool and he is a lifelong mets fan so that's pretty cool oh and,
1: man yeah, yeah, yeah
0: so he's yeah. he's doing that all right well, listen we got a lot to cover here today so okay. you know yesterday's market liz i thought was pretty interesting because the way that that uh, speaker mccarthy walked out of the the white house two days ago now okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the way schumer walked out of, of the white house um very different than the week before mm-hmm. and you know the rally in the market just started building throughout the day i think like mm-hmm. people were starting to feel a bit better that this was not going to go down to the brink and it wasn't going to be this hugely partisan sort of situation as it relates to the debt ceiling. I think there's a little enthusiasm about that today. There were some headlines. I think we have one of them right here from Senator McCarthy. He's our excuse me, Speaker McCarthy, um that would be in the House. I mean, he's basically saying we could have a bill on the floor. This is a bipartisan bill that mm-hmm. will pass, not the bill that they passed last month that like was calling for 5 trillion dollars in future cuts and spending and that sort of thing. What does that mean to you does that lift some sort of like because the market hasn't been pricing it the vix hasn't been pricing it does that lift something off the markets here i'm not sure i
1: mean i don't know that it lifts a ton off the markets even just looking at the pattern right now right the dow's down pretty sharply compared to the s p and the nasdaq but the s p is only buoyed by tech communications the growthy stuff so more of a a rate sort of move or the expectation that maybe things aren't going to be terrible or, or whatever the case may be but Here's the thing about the debt ceiling. I think that it's going to, maybe in the very, very short term, let's say they pass something next week. That's the most recent headline. I saw that next week was more likely. Maybe they pass something next week. We'd have... A little bit of a relief in the sense of, you know, if you had looked at credit default swaps on treasuries, the one month version, yeah. they had gone up quite a bit. So, so just, just
0: to be clear, the CDS is basically insurance on, on yes. those um, underlines there. And so the fact is they never really blew out, right? Like, they never so, blew yeah, out, yeah. but
1: there was a pretty a big rise over the last yeah. few weeks. So yeah. there was obviously an increase in the expectation or the possibility that there would be some sort of US debt yeah. default, right? So you might see a little rally as those come back in and people decide, all right, we're not going to default in June. But it doesn't necessarily solve the problem. I mean, I don't know what this bill looks like, yeah. but there's a chance that it's just a temporary relief. Right. And then we get to September-ish. Budgets have to be done before yeah. October. That's where it really comes to roost, and, and we'll see what happens then. But here's the thing about this whole cycle, including the debt ceiling— The timing of it. I'm starting to think the timing of it. And if you can get the timing of it right, that's where you win. It's not so much about, oh, these are the signals. This is what they're they're telling us is going to happen. Even if you're saying a recession is going to come, there's going to be some big shock. So far, we all sort of look wrong, right? So it's more about, well, how long does that take? And how how many cans can we keep kicking down the road?
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me when you think about some of the incentives that are in a lot of the fiscal spending and a lot of the fiscal, you know, like this IRA, it's geared towards mm-hmm. some of the areas of the market that have worked really well over the last, let's call it, year or so, you know, and when you think about chips and, and, the, and the like here. So I, I kind of think it's interesting that there will be a big budget debate. The likelihood that it centers around this debt ceiling is kind of silly. And the last thing I'll say about your point about the CDA on You know, after what we just went through with regional banks and and not hedging their interest rate risk, you know, that could be a function of some of these banks, large and small, just saying, hey, we better have our ducks in the road because if things do hit the fan and we are not properly hedged with some of our holdings, you know, we are going to get doubly punished because again, um, you know, based on what happened in March, let's look at the S&P 500 because it's kind of interesting. We've talked about this really tight range that has been in for the last six or seven weeks or so. We look at that. February 2nd high before uh, you know the, the regional banking crisis, it was about 4,200 in the S&P 500. Look where we got to today, 4,186 or so. We kind of sold off, um, I think about 20 handles or so. Technically, Liz, and I know that you kind of take an eye, you look at the charts every so often. I mean, mm-hmm. we've been saying this for like, a couple months now, like the chart mm-hmm. looks constructive in the S&P 500. Take it back all the way to the spring, and you know, you have the potential for a breakout. I guess what Guy and I talked about a little bit yesterday is like what is priced in for the potential of volatility around 11th hour sort of negotiation on around the debt. I don't think much, especially with a VIX below 17.
1: I would agree with that. I think that this market, and and it's interesting, It this range just keeps getting more and more narrow, yeah. which is kind of wild, yeah. right? And that, to me, because I'm more cautious, says that we're actually ripe for it to move bigger coming up. I don't know which direction it's going to yeah. move, but when you're kind of stuck in this little area where it doesn't seem like, number one, not much is happening, right? We've finished earnings season. There hasn't been any really big headline aside from the fact that the debt ceiling is heating up. But this tells me that we are actually ripe and almost fragile for a little piece of news that surprises us to move us in a different direction. The biggest thing that I can imagine through the rest of the year, maybe even through summer, is that there's still such a big gap between what the market thinks is going to happen with rates and what the Fed says is going to happen with rates. And inflation is a huge piece of that. The labor market is a huge piece of that. Housing is probably a huge piece of that. So there are opportunities for us to get data or get a statement from the Fed or some kind of shift in narrative from somewhere that moves this in a different direction. You
0: know, it's interesting that you, you know, you mentioned this range and it's kind of, it's, it's getting narrower and it feels like something's got to give really soon. It'll be interesting to see, let's just say we wake up on Monday morning and, and there's some sort of timeline about a bill that's going to be presented that Mm -hmm. they both parties think is going to pass. It'll be interesting to see what sort of move that we get to the upside, because that clearly would be the sort of thing that people would go in and buy. You'd cover shorts, that sort of thing. especially if you were playing for like a design disaster sort of scenario but let's see how long it holds and let's see if it can build because to me on that S&P chart again you know that 200 day moving average down there at 3975 it's basically in line with that uptrend that's been in place since the october lows that'll be really interesting all right you just yeah. mentioned rates here okay and just like the stock market or the S&P is at a one month high the 10 year yield is at 364 which is also a one month high here we just threw up a chart you see the downtrend from late last years, um, highs in the yield, which was very near four and a quarter. It probably gets you right below 4% if we were to break out of this range and get towards that downtrend, that would clearly be resistance. And then you see that kind of support level. we were banging around that 3-3 level or so a few times earlier in the spring. That looks like pretty decent support. But I think it's interesting. Danny Moses, our good friend and co-host of On the Tape on our Friday edition, he put this woman, Lori Logan, on our radar Early last year, he said she's going to be a thorn in, in the kind of dovish side of some of those in the Fed. And this morning, there's a Bloomberg article, but she was quoted as saying that she doesn't see the case for a June rate pause with prices still high. To your point, hmm. that sticky part of this inflationary story, which is wages, and it is the jobs market, the unemployment rate at 70-year lows. Uh,
1: Yeah, I do see a pause yeah. in June, and poor, what's her name, Lori?
0: Lori, Lori, yeah. with an O.
1: Oh, oh, Lari. Oh. Anyway, I sorry for calling her a thorn. I I do see a pause. I think yeah. that they can justify a pause for a lot of reasons. Yes, inflation is still high, and and yes, rates are still elevated compared to where they have been for the last decade. Yeah. But you could also argue that rates at this level is much more normal. One of the things that's really interesting, normal, is, especially
0: relative to inflation being yeah, up, above the absolutely. Fed's target. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And also, I mean, just as as a caveat. There's a sweet spot Mm -hmm. for inflation between 1% and 3%, CPI between 1% and 3%, where the market tends to go up Mm -hmm. or at least do okay. So I will not also be surprised if the Fed starts to change their tune when we near 3% instead of 2%. Will they admit it outwardly? Probably not. But but
0: it's funny. So how do they do that in a way? Because this 2% was the target on the upside pre-pandemic. It's Mm -hmm. been the target even when we had high single digits late last year, when we had a 9% CPI, they're still talking about 2%. Yeah. And wouldn't that have kind of give them the cover and say, listen, the economy has changed the dynamics and the jobs market have changed. The pandemic yeah. changed that. And we think that the natural rate is going to be higher. And here's why, like they have the opportunity to do that now that it's falling and it's going to be nearly cut in half in a month or two, at least the CPI readings from their highs. Wouldn't you think 40 year highs, wouldn't you think that they kind of missed their opportunity to reset the stage there for inflation?
1: I don't think so yeah. because I think that they needed to make that the consistent <clears throat> message. And they didn't want people to work in some kind of margin of error above 3% yeah. and set expectations that, oh, they'll stop at four. They said they'd be happy with three, then they'll stop at four. So they had to stay on this 2% narrative. As we get closer to it, things will probably show some more stress. We're going to see things in the market that are cracking, right? There's probably going to be some economic data that's softened even further. Yeah. By the time we're nearing 3%, Will probably have had at least a flat, if not a negative GDP print. And then they'll have the excuse to say, okay, look, growth has slowed considerably. We're a little bit concerned about some of this other data. 3% is a far cry from 9%. So we see the possibility that as inflation continues to soften, we could consider cutting rates, right? It, It would be like the tiniest little changes in their words. But as we know, the market changes on the tiniest little changes in their words. So I don't know that they need to necessarily say anything about it until after they have paused for a while yeah and then it's the conversation about all right when do we cut
0: well it's funny it it takes me back to late 2018 when fed chair powell had started um you know the prior year just kind of this rate hiking cycle they talked about normalizing interest rates right off of that zero interest rate bound that had been there you know since the the financial crisis and so to me what i think is interesting is like when you know we had this this kind of Uh, rate moving higher right inflation was still low Um, you know the stock market didn't like it right and we sold off 20% in Q4 of 2018 so I just kind of wonder like if they're able to thread the needle and maybe get market participants or companies or you know whoever it is it's not just market participants we're looking at this data it's companies the way they forecast right capex Mm -hmm. and hiring and all this sort of stuff and so to me I think there's a narrative to be told that okay maybe we can deal with lower unemployment rates right Mm -hmm. with higher inflation and rates just higher maybe that's the normal sort of um going forward all right let's talk about the dollar here a little bit i know this is um uh, a topic that you um you know track pretty closely it's something that we've been following as it re- relates to you know u.s multinationals and their earnings and we had this huge round trip right so we saw the dollar go the dixie the u.s dollar index go from like 100 in early 2022 up to like almost 115 round trip the thing it's kind of found some support here it's rallying a little bit here thoughts Mm -hmm. on what this means to the kind of rate outlook and what it means for kind of corporate earnings we know that corporate earnings while they were better than many people expected in q1 um you know like they had this tailwind of a lower dollar in the quarter especially kind of year over year
1: yeah you know what's interesting though and i know we talked about this on market call either last week or the week before the weakness in the dollar was not as much of a buoy for yeah. multinational corporations yeah. right as we would have expected part of that being the weakness in the dollar is occurring for different reasons i think the strength in the dollar in the dollar was occurring when the fed was continuing to hike and everything was a little bit different here than it was overseas now it's almost like there's been this tiny little shift of you know what things aren't that great in yeah. the us and they look like they might actually be getting better elsewhere maybe not necessarily in europe but who knows? Asia might be getting better. Mm-hmm. Japan actually mm-hmm. is even looking a little better. So there's a possibility that the the speed of this and the leaders and the countries and the regions that are taking over change a little bit. If the Fed comes out and says they're pausing in June and we still have a market pricing in cuts later in the year, mm-hmm. I think the dollar probably weakens even further. Yeah. But I don't think that that necessarily helps corporate earnings. There was a time earlier, let's say a year ago, where I said something like, I don't even see necessarily the VIX as the fear gauge the dollar is the fear gauge i don't think it's going to work that way in this environment with the fed having to pause and slowing growth and stagflation here
0: yeah a year ago i mean the dollar was a flight to quality as the euro was getting nailed right with the war you know in 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 ukraine here and i just it's worth noting and again a lot of you guys will say well the gold weakness is just commensurate with what what the dollar has just done the opposite right and if you look at the gld the etf that tracks gold kind of interesting here made a, a bit of a double top going back to a year ago it's closing high which was a multi-year high we just got there about a month ago i think that was probably the height of the issues with the debt ceiling was also the lows in the dollar and you see that uptrend that's been in place um since late last year so that'll be a really interesting level you see the 200-day moving average all the way down there um at 170 or so Talk to me. Um, I think you've definitely been a proponent of, you know, a small percentage of your portfolio in gold. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, does this is this a back and fill? Does this give you an, I think Guy would probably say this is probably the opportunity at that uptrend, maybe towards one eighty is where if you haven't been in gold, this yeah. could be a good spot to do that.
1: I would agree with Guy on that, yeah. and it's it's funny. I mean, this is such a short termy market, yeah. right? Gold. I'm looking at a chart. I'm kind of eyeballing this. Let's say it peaked on May fourth. And it's shown some weakness since May fourth, guys. Today's May eighteenth. Okay, so that's, that's short term. Is that what you call it? That's fourteen calendar days of uh, yeah. weakness. That is not a long enough time to say it's over. Yeah. The gold trade yeah. is over, right? And if you look at that time frame, we've had maybe some optimism on a debt ceiling. We've had a rally in rate-sensitive parts of the market. Yep not surprising then that gold would give a little bit back in that environment if fear has left and people don't necessarily need you know to worry about a, a debt default in the US. That's probably not the thing that takes gold back up again, but I do think gold still has at least support, if not more upside, beyond what it saw on May 4th. Yeah. So I would agree. I think this little dip is an opportunity. If you haven't been in it, mm-hmm. I would put some stuff in it.
0: It's also the re- it's the recession trade, right? So yep. if we do have a recession yep. and it comes harder than folks think, and, and then there's something else that happens, let's say, in the economy or in the markets... The Fed's playbook is to lower interest rates. They lower interest rates, they weaken the dollar. You weaken the dollar, you have gold going the opposite way. Okay. So why do we spend a lot of time throwing up all these beautiful facts set charts um, on the screen as we're talking about this stuff? Is A lot of traders, they use technicals to help inform entry points, exit points, stops and the like, inform your option uh, strikes, uh, if you will. Right. All right, let's talk a little bit. You wrote your note um, on the Wait, so I want to go fi- back to one thing. Oh, sure. Sorry. Whatever. Before we get whatever, whatever you need to.
1: The, the market yeah. stuff. So this is more about yields. Yeah. I want people to go look at, if you can, if you have access to it, go look at a chart of the twos, tens inversion. And look at the range that it was in before SVB failed. It was in a range of, let's say, inverted 80 to 100 basis points for almost two months, if not at least February into March. And then inverted beyond 100 basis points. SVB failed. Regional bank stuff happened. It shoots back up and it's only inverted about 40 basis points, now it's stuck in a range between 60 and 40 basis points. So we've the environment has changed. The level of inversion has changed. Yeah. And as we've talked about many times, when the curve uninverts is the signal, right? So we didn't quite uninvert yet, but we've certainly made headwinds, uh, I'm sorry, we've certainly made uh, headway to headway. get to that uninverted level. And now we're kind of stuck in a more shallow inversion. So I would argue that this is saying, we are closer to a recession. The next time it jumps back up, let's say we're in a range of 20 to 40, right? It's just almost like this stepwise function telling us it's coming.
0: Yeah, you know, it's funny. And, and again, you know, like on a day like today where I see, you know, the S&P up like 30 basis points and I see the NASDAQ up one and a quarter and some of our favorite AI Bubbly names are just raging right now. I mean, NVIDIA is up nearly 5%. We're going to talk about the semis in a second here. Um, it just feels like a little fear in this market in front of, okay, the debt ceiling. I was never in the camp that this was going to be like a default 2011 situation. And I get how the politics are different this time. And, and the way, you know, Speaker McCarthy and the hold that he has on his caucus is that that is a definitely different dynamic. I just think that given mm-hmm. what we just went through with the regional banks, you know, we are on, uh, I, I think, shaky Footing Right now, if you think about like the financial system, and that brings me back to 2008, where a lot of folks thought that, you know, Bear Stearns problems were Bear Stearns problems, right? And then you put them in the arms of JP Morgan. Well, that's back, that's backstopped, right? We've ring fenced all those issues. And we know from history that that wasn't the case right and so that's why i don't really think we're out of the woods when it you know as rega- relates to this regional banking crisis especially when you have fed speakers like uh you know like Laurie logan saying that i don't think there's a case a great case for a pause at this june meeting right because if rates were to continue to go higher we could have these further exasperated these issues as it relates to mark to market losses right with this held to maturity securities and who knows what that starts to affect especially as the regionals fail or get kind of bundled up into some of these larger names and the sort of um, risk that there's in those portfolios that some of these bigger banks have. So to me, that's that's why I bring it up. So a little fear in the stock market might be a really healthy thing. And I guess next week, let's just say we do have the passage of the lifting of the debt ceiling. And let's say it is to September 30th. And then we know that there's going to be a looming budget debate. And that will be partisan because when we get to the fall, we are one year out from the president uh, presidential election. And that is all on the record at this point. You know what I mean so like mm-hmm. so that, that's why that's important to me so I think with the S&P up nine percent on the year the Nasdaq 100 you ready for this people up 25 percent on the wild. year which is wild because it's almost wild. as much as it was down last year Liz
1: yeah yeah it, yeah well and and try to square that with something like somebody put in the comments very early in the show talk about the leading economic indicators yeah try to square what the Nasdaq has done which historically, maybe not today, but historically had been the highest beta index, right? It was the one that was the riskiest. It was the one that was depending on the future. And then you look at leading economic indicators, the index year over year, just falling off a cliff. Yeah. It's down almost to where it was in March of 2020. Yeah. So all of these signals, plus the inversions and all the other things that are happening, I know we're going to talk about housing because I wrote about it today you because it did. continues to confuse me, but all these signals and then you see the market happen it's almost as if, you know, if I go to somebody and say, give me your bull case, because I I legitimately want to hear it. Give me something that convinces me to be more positive. I might get some little anecdotal things like housing is still strong, unemployment hasn't blown up. But then mostly the answer is, well, the tape, right? The tape. The, the market. Yeah. The market keeps going up. So that's the bull case. That's called momentum. That's not necessarily a fundamental bull case. And my theme continues to be this year. Somebody's wrong. Maybe it's me, yeah. but somebody's wrong. One of these signals is wrong.
0: Well, I just told you, I, I, in the last three months, I've lost more money um, trying to be bearish than I made being bearish in all of last year. And that doesn't feel particularly good, but at least I have mm-hmm. about six or seven months to try to make a backlist. Um, it's interesting when you think about the NASDAQ 100 in particular, and we talk about this a lot, but you, just, you know, a name like NVIDIA has gained $400 billion in market cap this year alone right and then i look at an apple it's up 34 percent of the year a microsoft that's up 33 percent of the year a google that's up 38 of the year amazon's up 40 of the year meta's up 100 of the year when you think of that i mean that is all the gains in the market i mean like the, literally those are all the gains in the mm-hmm. entire stock market we talk about small caps which is equal to the um the russell 2000 equal to the market cap of let's say an apple or a microsoft and it's flat on the year you know, or up a little bit. So to me, there's definitely some bifurcation here, plenty of dispersion, which we didn't see last year. So um, that's something I think we got to keep an eye on because sooner or later people, this bubble, and, and I'm not saying that there's a bubble in the technology. There's a bubble in the enthusiasm about these large platform companies being able to yeah. kind of, you know, like, um, you know, take advantage of these new technologies working through their platform. It's just not I think they're front end loading um, a lot of that. All right. Let's talk about housing because this is really just like employment. And, and again, going back to being confused, you know, you've mm-hmm. talked a lot about. Housing is probably one of the most confusing aspects of this economy. We know mm-hmm. it's a huge part of the economy. And you had a great note. And I got to tell you, it's a bummer, guys, not here because <laughs> home kipo, <laughs> home. I mean, that is on the Mount Rushmore of titles that could tweak Gaia Dami. <laughs> like, you don't even know uh. here. But you made a lot of great points about the supply-demand dynamics. But the one thing that I thought was most important, and we can get to it when, when you're ready, was just there are – there are implications on the employment front that are very tied to the housing market, yeah. and and so right. a couple of those things going in the wrong direction at the same time could be bad for the economy. So talk to me yeah. like why this is front and center, especially on a day today where we have the um, the housing data, which was worse than expected.
1: Right. Well, the the idea for this column, and I lol'd when I yeah, came up with Home Kipo. Did you
0: l o f l? Freaking
1: be r o f l. What is that? Oh, Rolling it. on, on the, the floor laughing. Oh, or. LFm. i don't
0: know i'm I'm too old for this shit
1: lfmao
0: you know it's funny remember those guys the lmfao guys
1: yeah, yeah.
0: you know what's so funny i have an amazing picture and i'm going to try to find it when you're going to go through your note here of me with the guy you know the guy who had the big afro the yeah. guy from that song yeah. um what was the song called um, they were just dancing like all goofy. over the place yeah yeah i was at a um about
1: a girl girl on tv
0: something. I, I don't know. I'll try to okay. find it my iPhone, but it was, it was amazing. It was at Madison Square Garden and he was there. It was like, you know, they had this, they used to have this tennis match. Um, this BMP Paribas had this like tennis match in Madison Square Garden, which is kind of like a cool event to see in Madison okay. Square Garden.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not a tennis gal, but no, I'm sure it would be cool. Anyway, so you're saying you're not athletic or book. no? I think i'm very athletic oh, really? i don't play tennis okay i use bats not rackets
0: can we get hey, ideas can we get eyes on that um don't we have don't we have a picture of liz in a softball <laughs> in a, uniform a well we definitely <laughs> have the cheerleader I, but that, i'm
1: sure i'm yeah. sure my dad can come up with a picture of okay, in a okay that would uniform. be amazing um okay home keepo so oh sorry here's the thing i, I did tie this one particularly to employment but the reason that the idea for this column came out of the fact that home builder sentiment was reported this week a few i think it was on tuesday and it actually had improved where it had looked for a while, like homebuilder sentiment made sense with where we thought the economy was heading and all the different things that were happening because it had gone into contraction territory. We expected that prices would fall all oh, blah, 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 blah. Right. And then it sort of popped back out of negative territory and suddenly homebuilder sentiment was good. So then it got me thinking, OK, well, what does that mean? I know we have a shortage of supply. Mm-hmm. Right fascinatingly, people are still willing to buy houses. I mean, my little sister just bought a house mm-hmm. and she's you know not in finance, but it, at a time in her life where her and her husband want to start doing that. So I get it. People still want to do it. It's fascinating to me that this is still an environment with rates higher than they've been in however many well, years. What, can I just back rates? you up?
0: If you're a first time buyer, you're thinking about your current housing costs, You're thinking about your employment and your wages. You're thinking about your future confidence and all those sorts of things. And then you're basically saying that's the house that I can afford. That's the rate that it takes to get a a loan on 80% of the house or whatever. But it's the people who have their house that they bought with a maybe adjustable 10 year arm. That's two and a half percent or something. Those people are not moving.
1: Yep. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's part of the point. She's a first time home buyer. So to her six point one two five. On a mortgage is like, okay, that's just how it goes, right? That's going to be normal to her. Whereas if you've got a three, you're sitting on a 3% 30 year, yeah. I'm not going anywhere nope, either, right? Nope. I'd rather keep that house, rent it out, and then go do something else for it's a little funny, while, which the, is the, what a lot of people are the doing. The
0: CEO of Redfin was on with Sarah Eisen this morning. Um, I was watching all CNBC this morning. I was waiting for you to come to the studio. Uh-huh. And, you know, he said, to that point is like, if you have a 3% 30 year mortgage, that is a financial asset now yeah. when you think about it, because yeah. you can put your money, you know, SoFi has a high a high yield savings account. You can get what probably four and a half, maybe even 5% in some of these sorts of things. So yeah. there's a spread to be made for the first time in a very long time, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So the interesting thing about the housing market is that all of the normal signs, right? Housing affordability mm-hmm. has plummeted, rates are higher. You've seen mortgage activity slow the housing market continues to look resilient when you look at prices. Now, I know prices have come down. I know there was a headline today that they fell the most in 11 years or something like that. But they're still pretty elevated compared to what you would have expected to happen if you look at mortgage activity. And if you look at mortgage rates, prices have stayed elevated, which I think you can draw two conclusions. And that was one of my Mm -hmm. points in here is that you could say, oh, well, it means that the housing market is still strong. There's still so much demand. Or it means that people just aren't Doing anything about it. The market is frozen. It's housing is something that you don't get to market to market until the house moves owners. And if it's not moving owners, we don't really know what they cost. So, part of the point of this was look, it's not that the data is strong. I think the data is actually stale or stuck, Mm -hmm. and prices aren't actually reflecting what people are willing to pay for a house. The other piece of this is that existing home sales and new home sales are sending kind of conflicting signals as well. So, we know that we have a shortage of supply. There's definitely more people than there are Mm -hmm. houses available, or at least more demand than there are houses available. We also know that we went through a pretty long issue with supply chains, Mm -hmm. and we went through a pretty long issue with labor shortages. So you've got all these homes, the building permits that piled up, and then the homes that were started to be under construction, that either went much more slowly than normal, or just had to be paused entirely, and still haven't been completed. So there's this big backlog of new homes still sitting there or maybe being finished right now, but they're not being finished fast enough. So the backlog isn't clearing out. So you've got continuing backlog, which makes demand look elevated, right? And stay elevated for a while. And you got to have people to build the houses. So it keeps the construction employment buoyed and that's sending this sort of signal that everything's fine in the housing yeah. market.
0: Let, let's talk about that for a second. So that was the point I was making. Um, so, and then we have another chart here and this is a there's a fascinating one. I think Guy calls this the hungry alligator chart, but this is like, um, this is the lumber prices versus the, the the home builder, the S&P 500 home builder index. So if you think about it, one of the biggest inputs is wages, right, like an access to workers. And that was one of the reasons why we saw home prices going up so dramatically during the pandemic was because like, we, you know, access to workers was hard and then lumber prices shot up right so we had this really like perfect storm for pricing in the housing market relative to this weird supply demand dynamic so now you have this situation where prices of the home builder stocks okay have done what they've done you see lumber one of the main inputs go down but you're seeing stable wages and still strong demand for construction workers so what does that combination like let's bring it back to the stock market in a way like do you see lumber prices not being able to go too much lower especially if demand continues to pick up and then if wages stay bid isn't there a chance that margins get weaker in the home building space here and maybe it's not a great spot to pile into the home builders even though they all trade at like nine or ten times earnings
1: yeah, I don't I mean just looking at this chart alone, right? Yeah. Lumber is supposed to lead the housing market. I mean, I don't know that lumber needs to go m- that much lower from here. It looks like it's kind of flatlined. If if there's a recession, obviously you're going to see things like lumber go down even further, but just the divergence between these two, right? You see home builders taking off. Mm. There's this is the other thing. There are also long legs in the housing market, yeah. right? You you agree to build a house. I don't know, in January, you don't really even break ground for months still. And then to get it from breaking ground to completion takes another a year sometimes. Right. So there's this big, long leg. Be careful in extrapolating out what's happening today yeah. and assume that it's going to keep happening. Right. There's reason to believe that there aren't as many permits being taken out there isn't as much
0: great song by Bruce Springsteen
1: and and more than reason to believe the housing permits have actually fallen you know and I
0: did just a little slow down so you people know on April 1st Bruce Springsteen was in Madison Square Garden I did invite Liz (laughs) to join me at the concert (laughs) and she said no I mean like I don't even know what the hell she was doing that okay but like who says no to that I mean with me you know the boss and the boss? No, I didn't do I that. Mean, Did I just do that? Who's
1: the who's the other boss? Well,
0: me, Dan the man. You're the, the boss. boss and all right. And he's the boss. Yeah. You didn't I mean all right, but but you next know, time. your wife
1: told me about the concert. I feel like I was there.
0: No, trust me. All right. You know, here's <laughs> just just a, let's put a um let's wrap up the uh, home building thing and you guys can all find uh Liz's note the the home keepo uh, home at the Sofi investing blog and just, you know, um i get you guys have a daily newsletter uh so we far do. that i get um and i think it's really good too so yeah. um you guys should go check that out my friend doug cass at Seabreeze. um doug i gotta tell you guys um you know we love quoting doug on the financials he as i say all the time has forgotten more about bank stocks than i will ever know um here but you know he says to me and he's listening thanks for listening doug um is we've been long home builders all year and short home depot and i think this is really interesting and he says because the remodeling jobs are principally funded by refinancings and there are no refinancings this is to your point and i wanted to bring this up a little bit because we have these charts now and i want to take you for as good as the home builders look and they look like they want to try to break out and again i'm not saying to chase them here there's a bunch of weirdness in and around the space, okay? So look at Whirlpool. We have this chart. If you buy a home or build a home, probably more if you build a home, you likely have to put a washing machine and a dryer and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Look how poorly Whirlpool trades. It's very near its 52-week lows. It's been cut in half from its pandemic highs in 2021. It was like yeah. trading at like 250 or something like that. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, well, Amasco a masco. Hold on, I have would, a yeah, question. Yeah, well, and it, this
1: is, I know we're getting close yeah, to Yeah, we are end, getting close. But okay, if you're going to build a house, I I don't know how many new houses I walk through, and I've gotten a new washer and dryer in the last year. It's not Whirlpool, yeah, right? It's LG. Yeah. So, is this really something that we should look as an indicator of that kind of stuff, or is this like is Whirlpool the Kodak? of you know what I mean
0: they have have good market share I mean whatever I mean just because you like to buy Korean over like (laughs) uh, over the Americans thing but I just like like, I'm just saying look how poorly that stock (laughs) trades the Home Depot to Doug's point I mean they just had a very disappointing quarter what they had to say wasn't particularly great and that stock does not trade that well um another one was RH you build a home or you buy a new home you're gonna go get a new tricked out sofa maybe something from the Ottoman family I don't know you know what I mean (laughs) Family. Yeah, like just to put kick those feet back up. <laughs> Do you but know that, what an
1: ottoman is? But like
0: yeah. <laughs> but like ottoman it trades family. it trades pretty pretty weird. Um all right, yeah. we are getting late here. I want to hit two, I think really important um uh, areas here. I want to hit retail and I want to hit semiconductors and tech here. So let's hit retail um, first this morning. Walmart, um, you know, decent quarter, decent guide. I mean, like without getting into the weeds here, you know, we know that half of their sales come from groceries. Okay. And that's been something that, okay, if you're trading down, we've heard this trade down narrative from lots of retailers. We heard it from Home Depot. We heard it from Costco last month. You know, like Walmart's in a pretty good spot. If you're going there to get your yeah. groceries, you're probably going to get some other discretionary items. But then what Target had to say um, wasn't Particularly great either um, yesterday. Thoughts on retail? Because um, look at this Walmart chart. It's right back towards those late 2022 uh, highs, the late 2022 highs. Technically, it had a big run. It really traded lockstep with consumer staples, if you think about that March move here. And mm-hmm. so expectations were only high because of what the stock had done. Trades about 25 times versus a target about 19 times. What is your take on retail in general? Because I'm going to pull up the XRT chart. This is the S&P retail, and this thing can't get out of its own way. It's one of the few sector ETFs that's below its 200-day moving average. Talk to me, Liz.
1: Look, retail is probably one of the latter things that actually breaks down, but I think it's running up against uh, its own sort of resistance. And although Home Depot is obviously a housing-adjacent name and something that is going to be much more affected by what people are doing at home, the message, I think, is really important to listen to. They they delayed bigger projects, right? They stopped buying bigger items. Durable goods, just mm-hmm. as a macro lesson for everybody, when you see durable goods start to relax and turn the other direction, that's usually a leading indicator yeah. of slow down in regular spending. Durable goods happens first. Smaller retail stuff happens later. I think there's some unique stuff between Target and Walmart because we know about the inventory problems that happened earlier in the year. This was the quarter where we get to find out or we got to find out whether or not that was the worst of it. Did they figure out the inventory stuff? And it sounds like maybe they did for the most part. But now the concern will be when spending pulls back. Right. And if you are doing that trade down. But yeah I, I don't know where else you where do you trade down from? No, the and, and, walmart and those right?
0: stocks um dollar stores and stuff like that those stocks um got nailed about a year ago when it made very clear that like mm-hmm. the inventory that they had had um was not what consumers were looking for especially as we've gone from this period where there was a lot of big ticket purchases when people were locked at home savings were high they had nothing to do and then you have made this point when they moved to doing things. You know what I mean? Right. Like they were not right. professionally st- or properly stocked. Last point I'll just make is like TJ Maxx had a good quarter. And I think it speaks to, okay, the trade down a little bit there, but um, you know, that that's worth noting. All right. I want to make this last point here. And I thought this was a really interesting headline. Steve Kelly runs point 72, formerly SAC capital. Um, that's actually the place where I got started in the business in really? 1997. So you got a soft spot. I, well, I, I don't have a spot in general. I mean, he's clearly, I think people will refer to him as like the, the, the Michael Jordan, the goat of trading and he now he runs a you know a massive firm but it was interesting there's a salt conference um co-hosted by our friends at i connections it was in new york and i guess this bloomberg article is quoting him at a private meeting where he said he's pretty bullish on the markets um and you know thanks primarily to ai and it's funny i see that headline and i swear when that came out yesterday i saw the nasdaq just start ticking up the permission structure that you get as a pm or a trader when you hear that from somebody like him now This is about as useful as 13F filings, okay? Like, meaning, like, you know what I mean? Like, who knows what his time horizon is? Who knows when he bought this stock? Trust me when I tell you that Steve Cohen has the most brilliant people who are supposed to be six months ahead of the curve, whether it be macro stuff, whether it be micro and individual stock level, whether it be a sector, like, you know, transformative sort of tech level. So he could be reiterating a view. He could also be selling into that view, you know what I mean, because things are getting a little nutty here. And I just think that's kind of interesting because I suspect a guy like that makes a lot of his money being contrarian. And I don't believe right now with the NASDAQ 100 up 25% going all in on these huge AI stocks. And they're not AI stocks. You know, if you're looking at any of the big platform companies, they're going to use AI in, inside of their own businesses, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, to get you know better productivity or better monetization or better whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's not something you're going to see and feel right now. Maybe Nvidia is seeing it with their orders for advanced chips for all that stuff. So yeah. my question to you: Let's pull up the Nasdaq 100 chart here. It just got above its August, um, 2022 highs. It seems like there's a lot of good news you know priced in right now and i'm just curious when you hear like a market luminary like that make a call like that are you a little skeptical not skeptical about his prowess in the markets just about the timing of when it comes out
1: well i would argue it it's sort of a contrarian call compared to everything that's in the economy right but maybe it's not a contrarian call to the nasdaq Yeah. I mean, it does make me skeptical. the The AI thing makes me skeptical. Not, I'm not skeptical skeptical about AI. I think AI is going to be a big deal, of course. But I don't think it's going to change our lives. The way like Web
0: three was, or the way that like the Metaverse (laughs) was. The way that Bitcoin Bitcoin fixes (laughs) everything. (laughs) Right. Got it. All the same stuff. Just I just want to be really clear on that. But it's not going
1: to change our lives in the next five months, right? Even if it is this big thing that everybody is expecting it to be. Yeah. This is a five to 10 year story. And keep in mind, if AI takes over, people lose jobs. Yeah. So that's actually not good for parts of the economy. And there are always going to be conflicting signals and things that something gets better and something else gets worse. So it's not just sort of a cure-all. And I think the, the swiftness with which many of these companies have gone up because of the enthusiasm, yeah. it's almost like do we not have anything else to be enthusiastic about this year? I, I, maybe we don't, right? So we're trying to like grasp on to something to be happy about maybe, but this is also not something that you're going to get gratification on by like December.
0: You know, it's interesting. Um, I want to highlight maybe um, Amanda and Jacob could find it. There was Chamath Palihapatia who runs social capital um, and, you know, a, a private tech investor, but also invests in public markets. I think um, on Twitter, someone shared it. I'm not on Twitter. Elon kicked me off. Um, somebody showed me this tweet yesterday that he quote tweeted that, that Steve Cohen article. Okay. uh, You know, the Bloomberg headline with that saying, it's really, I think I'm paraphrasing here. Maybe these guys can pull it up. Um, paraphrasing, but he said, it's really interesting that this time all the excitement about AI is not coming from Silicon Valley, it's coming from Wall Street, which mm. I think is, and that's yeah. really, now listen, it's being reflected in private market valuations. We've seen plenty of AI companies that are pre-revenue yeah. being minted with $1 billion uh, valuations. And I just think, thanks guys for bringing that up. I just think that this is a really interesting point. I think we're gonna continue to have this push and pull between Silicon Valley and Wall Street. Cause right now, the only way that you can invest in AI is buying Microsoft or Google or what you think Amazon's going to do or a Snapchat yeah. headline in and around it and we're going to service now had it something Nvidia again has gained 400 billion dollars in market cap this year solely based on the belief that they are going to you know they are going to be the ones selling most of the advanced chips i'll just mention this you know Nvidia was data center it was gaming it was crypto mining and there were big peaks and valleys as it related yeah. over the last few years around all of those things. And I do not, and I've been short NVIDIA and I'm getting my balls blown off on this one. Sorry to use that technical term here. <laughs> and I'm just being really honest about that. But my point is, is like, there will be, Oh, thanks guys for bringing that up. And that means just right up the there. <laughs> that's what that looks like. Um, so sorry. We got, chart, I you got, don't no, want to be short, No, um, but, but yeah, not pretty. Um, but they report next week. And I think that's going to be an interesting one. I just yeah. can't imagine. I mean, like the quarter and guidance list that they're going to have to put up to, to kind of keep this thing going yeah, is yeah. just um, well and, and
1: that's sort of my point is if you're investing in these stocks now and you're excited about ai i'm not saying that it's the wrong thing to do i think you should be excited about ai but if you're looking at this now at these valuation levels and expecting that by the end of the year you're going to say to yourself you know what it was worth 80 times yeah. forward earnings right i don't think you're going to get that gratification I don't think 25 times sales for a company that's a
0: 750 billion right market i don't think you're going
1: to get the satisfaction in a reasonable investor timeframe to say, that was the right decision I'm gonna keep holding. So there are gonna be bumps, there's gonna be peaks and valleys along the way, and not every company is gonna do this well. That's how every new innovation comes out. Everybody tries, they don't all succeed. So there's going to be probably some really big winners, maybe Nvidia will be one of them, But there's also going to be some some companies that don't do it well at all and it falls apart every
0: one of those companies that i just mentioned is going to be they have been using ai or they have been building systems or Mm -hmm. hardware or whatever you want to to, you know to service this new transformative technology but there's no there's no silver like bullet there's no one thing it's like how do they integrate it in the things that they're already doing and or, or augment the services that they're selling to others i mean that's the story here so um to me it's like what have we discounted right here and again being early is being very wrong in my case here so Mm. that's a tough one um and again I remain very optimistic about the prospects for a lot of these companies to do it and then it'll be really interesting just wait until the IPO machine gets turned back on and the SPAC machine gets turned back on and AI stocks are going to be the first ones all right before we get out of here and I just want to say this we've gone late we appreciate you sticking with us most importantly Liz I think she's been so generous with her time because we just had like a nice sushi lunch before this. So I think <laughs> we kind of prime the pump a little bit here. And we went over the top on it. We did a nice little sugar fish box here. Yeah, all right, I
1: accept all free food. All right. it's
0: fine. Let's hit hashtag Butters right here. So this okay. is John Butters. He's the Senior Earnings Insight Analyst over at FactSet. We get a preview of his Earnings Insight blog that drops every Friday morning. And this one, Liz, I think is really interesting. We've been tracking John Butters' work all during earnings season and he really helped us set up into it and in getting our sense of like what expectations were for how much earnings estimates had come down over the quarter what the average kind of decline has been and like you know that we've seen in these sorts of periods and what the beat rate was to that and so we've been highlighting the fact that yes they came in slightly better than expected but they mm-hmm. came down much harder during the course of the quarter than they had on average over the last five and ten years so now we're looking at the term recession okay mm-hmm. the term recession has been cited on the q1 earnings calls of 105 s p 500 companies this number is above the five-year average of 77 above the 10-year average of 59 however q1 2023 marks a third straight quarter in which the number has declined after peaking in q2 of 2022. The financial sector has the highest number of percentage of companies citing recession on Q1 earnings calls. In addition, the term debt ceiling has been cited on the Q1 earnings calls of just 13 S&P 500 companies. Interesting. So talk to me about mm-hmm. why financials, and I know the answer, but let, mm-hmm. let's inform everybody, why financial companies were probably much more in tune about talking about recession um, than, let's say, yeah. others.
1: Well, this is all about feelings, I think, too. You know, you talk about uh, it's not a recession to you until your neighbor gets laid off or until your brother gets laid off or until somebody in your house does. If you were in the financial industry in the first quarter of 2023, it didn't go so well towards the end, and it really felt like there was either a crisis that had already begun or a big one that was brewing. And when you finished out March and saw, you know, a handful of banks that had either failed or were on their way to failing in that industry, of course, you're talking about recession, right? And if you're outside the industry you're looking at the one of the most cyclical sectors and saying oh my gosh if you have a scar of any sort from the global financial crisis there were eerie similarities yeah. and it didn't feel great so then the fears went up which is also the exact time when that yield curve uninverted by at least 20 to 30 basis points right so i don't think it's any surprise to anyone that financials would mention it more um i do think it's interesting though that even during a period where And I don't have that chart in front of me from Butters anymore, but even during a period when we knew a recession had happened, so Q1 2020, yeah. Q2 2020, not even half of S&P yeah. companies mentioned it. So that it was a certainty then and not even half of companies so i would argue that over 100 is still a pretty big number
0: yeah it sounds like it all right well that's going to do it here people um guy dami congrats to guy jr Mm -hmm. um he's going to be back with you and me monday morning we do an on the tape podcast that would be liz guy um and dan and that will be in your favorite podcast stores or wherever you get them and then guy and i are going to be back for a market call uh, on monday at one o'clock right here so if you are here and you don't follow our risk reversal media channel on youtube please do that um and we're going to be back with carter um on monday so that's going to do it here thanks to sofi get your money right all in one app and of course FactSet, set all that data and the analytics and the charts that we show you is brought to you guys by FactSet. we rely on them a great deal for everything that we do so thanks to them for their support uh liz have a great long weekend thanks for going Thank over you. time with us thanks
1: Bye-bye. of course